0: The third chapter of the book of Joshua, the whole chapter really is the text, and for the conservation of time, I'll read verses 1 through 7. Please, you'll want to read this entire chapter sometime today. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And it came about at the end of the three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may, go, may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I've been talking, we've been talking about uh, going over into victory and living in the fullness of the blessings of God, to live in continual triumph and victory. And the book of Joshua, more than any other book, gives us in pictorial form what it means when the people of God cross over in to His fullness, into triumph, into victory. And now they've come almost overnight to cross the Jordan into fullness, into victory. And the question is, how is it that now almost overnight they're able to live in victory? And the key to that is found in the Ark of the Covenant, the key. If you read the third chapter of Joshua in its entirety, It refers to the Ark of the Covenant ten times. The key to going into victory is in the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was this box that symbolized the presence of God. It was the visible Shekinah presence of God. So that where they saw the Ark, they knew that God was present there. The amazing thing is that these people had possession of the Ark all along. It had always been with them. It had gone where they had gone in the wilderness. But the difference now, the key now, is in the position of the ark. They always had the possession of the ark. But now the the key to victory is in the position of the ark. They had possessed it. Now the ark begins to possess them. They had carried the ark around with them wherever they went. Now the ark is leading them, and that's the key. Now to us, the ark is a symbol, is a type of Jesus Christ. Paul said, of Christ, now dwelleth in Him all the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And John says in his prologue, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, so that Jesus was the visible presence of God. And the Ark was to us, is to us, a symbol or a type of Jesus Christ. So here's the key the key to spiritual victory is the position of Jesus Christ in your life. And the difference between spiritual poverty and spiritual prosperity, the difference between spiritual defeat and spiritual victory, is where you have positioned Jesus Christ in your life. Now I think we could describe some Christians like this, that everywhere they go, Jesus goes. He goes everywhere they go. He indwells them, He lives within them in the person of the Holy Spirit. So everywhere He goes, they go. He's in the rider's seat. It's kind of like a hitchhiker, you see. You're going down the road and you pick up a hitchhiker. He goes everywhere you go. He sits in the rider's seat. But He has no authority, has no claim upon the direction you've chosen. He's just there for the ride. He's in the rider's seat. He has no authority. Now, I don't want to sound sacrilegious because God knows I'm not, but for many of us, I think Jesus just goes along for the ride. He has no authority in your life. He has no claim on the direction, on the choices you make. And that's why we live in spiritual defeat, because He has a secondary position in our life. And what the text is saying is this, that victory comes when a person places, puts Jesus in the primary position, in the position of preeminence and sovereignty and lordship. When we place Him in the primary position, we go into victory. Now I want you to see what I'm trying to say. Is that there is no difference in the possessions of the defeated and the victorious Christian. The difference is in the position of the possession. And when Christ is in the position of preeminence and sovereignty, and we follow Him, we go into victory. Now I need to say three things about following Jesus. First of all, following Jesus gives direction over uncharted paths. Gives direction over uncharted paths. And so He says in verse 4, You have never traveled this way before. You've never gone this way before. Two things about following Jesus. First, you need to keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on the ark, He said. In fact, He said, you need to put this ark at a distance of 2,000 cubits, about 1,000 yards from you, so that everybody can see the ark. Everybody can keep their eyes on it. And if you, and, 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 and nobody's to come crowding around it because those on the back row would not be able to see it. For the key to following Jesus is to keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus because you've never traveled this way before. Now, have you ever tried to imagine what these people thought as they got ready to go into Canaan? Moses was dead, the familiar leader was gone. And, and, they, and they had a rookie, you know, for a leader. It had never been this way before either. And, 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 and Moses had led them around in a circle in the wilderness for 40 years and everything was familiar out there. And now this rookie who would never been their leader was about to carry them, take them across the Jordan into a land of giants. And they had their eyes on him. Take your eyes off man, he said. And put them on the ark, put them on Jesus. I used to think that every time I resigned a church, that church would probably go out of business. I mean, how are they going to get along without me? I'd pop the question, How's the church? Hoping. Yeah, hoping. But he'd say, Oh, we just can't make it without it. They, invariably, they'd say, Oh, it's just going great. You know, just so enthusiastic. They'd say, you'd be so happy, Brother Gerald. It's going better than when you were here, you know. <laughs> that doesn't make you happy. You know. It's just going great. I, I, I came to the conclusion that it, it really doesn't matter who's leading. What really matters is who's leading the leader. You've never been this way before. You've never lived this day before. And you're going to school tomorrow. Some of you fr- rookies, you know. Some of you start tomorrow in a day that you've never lived before. And some of you, I know, think you've got life all neatly wrapped up in little packages, and little categories. And about the time you think you've got all the answers, all hell breaks loose. And you've got problems for which there are no answers. You've got questions for which there are no answers. You've got riddles for which there are no solutions. You better find somebody to follow who knows what lies ahead. You better find somebody to follow who's been here before. And like that old song used to say, say, nothing between my soul and the Savior so that His blessed face may be seen. Just keep your eyes on Him. Not on man, not on circumstances. And so God called Abraham and He sent him out not knowing where he was going. They never, never told him. He said, you just get up and go and I'll... I'll show you where to go, into a land that he knew not. You ever wondered why God didn't tell Abraham where he's going? Because God didn't want Abraham's eyes to be on the country. He wanted his eyes to be on him. You ever wondered why God didn't tell you what lies ahead? Because God knows that if He tells you what lies ahead, you'll have your eyes on what lies ahead. He wants your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And so in that 20th chapter of 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat comes to say... We don't have much might and we don't have much knowledge, but our eyes are on you. I love that. What he was saying, a tidal paraphrase is, we're not very strong, and even if we had strength, we wouldn't know what to do with it. But our eyes are on you. I tell you, you may not know much, and you may not have much, but if you know enough to keep your eyes on Jesus, you know enough. And so Jesus came across the waters, walking toward His disciples in the storm, And old Simon Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the waters. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to get out there if Jesus wasn't out there either. Bid me come to you on the waters. And the scripture said he crawled out of that boat and started walking. He'd never done that before. He'd never been on that that lake before with his feet. And as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, he was making it fine. When he took his eyes off the Lord and put them on the wind and the waves, he began to sink. I can tell you, the very moment... You're fixing to go into defeat is the moment you look away from Jesus. May I ask you a question this morning? Where have you focused your eyes? Let me ask you this question. Which is the bigger in your eyes today? Your problems of our Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Second thing about following Him. When you get your eyes on Him, He said, put your eyes on the ark and then go after it. Go after it. Get up and go after it. Somebody said that God never leads a stationary object. I think that one way that you can, one of the best descriptions of a Christian is a person, a Christian is just a person who is obedient to what he knows God wants him to do. Now some of us sit around asking God for more revelation and more knowledge, waiting for God to kind of propel us to do something, sometimes even against our will. We talk about the Spirit moving us, We're asking God for new knowledge, new revelation, asking for God to propel us to do something we don't even want to do. Let me tell you, you don't need to ask God for new knowledge. You just need to do what you already know to do. And the psalmist said, What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits? I know what I'll do. I'll take the cup of salvation and offer thanksgiving to God. And I will fulfill my vows in the presence of the congregation. I like that. I'm struck by that. What he said was this I'm not going to make any more promises to God until I start fulfilling the promises I've already made. And I'm not going to ask God for any more new revelations or new knowledge. I'm just going to start doing what I already know to do. That's what we need to do. Sometimes somebody asked me, Brother Gerald, what do you do when you don't feel like praying? My answer is, well, you pray. No, no, no," he said, you misunderstood. I know I'm supposed to pray, but I don't feel like it. What do you do when you don't feel like praying? Uh, Well, you pray. It's not a matter of feeling. Isn't it amazing that it is only in our spiritual life, in the realm of our spiritual life, where we think we're supposed to operate in the realm of feelings. Only in spiritual life do we think that. If you think your feelings ought to control your life, you get up in the morning you call your boss and you say to your boss, I just, I just don't really feel like working today. And we talk about I don't feel spiritual. You just tell him, I don't feel working. You know, I just don't feel like it. And besides all that, I don't think I'm going to come in until I do. When I get to feeling like it, I'll be back in. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, oh, bless you, son. I wouldn't want you to come to work if you didn't feel working. Or you go off somewhere tomorrow and you call your wife, your spouse, you you call your husband, you say, Honey, I'm not coming home today. I just don't feel married. I don't feel married. I'm off on a trip and I call Margaret and say, Honey, I won't be home tonight. I don't feel married. You know what she's going to say to me, among other things? (laughs) She's going to say, I don't care what you feel like, man. You get yourself home here. We think that we're supposed to let our feelings control our, our life. No, we're not supposed to do that. He said, when you see Jesus out in front, you just get up and go after Him, you see. I love it. And they said, well, look where that ark's going, out in the middle of that river. That's all right. It'd be better to die with Him in the river than to live on the bank without Him, friend. There's a whole lot less risk living in security in the river with the ark than there is living on the bank without Him. And some of us are waiting for us, the Lord to part the waters, then we'll put our foot in. There's a song about that, part the waters, Lord, you know. Listen, He said, you put your foot in the water and you go after the ark, then I'll take care of the water. Following Jesus gives you direction over uncharted paths. Second, following Jesus gives you deliverance over unconquerable problems. Now, I alluded to this last time, but, I'm going to say it again. He he took them out there and he set them down by the Jordan, which was out of its banks. He just put that in a little footnote and the Jordan was out of its banks. It was that flood stage. It was roaring out of control. And he told me, I said, I want you to sit down here for three days and just take a look at this river out of control, out of its banks. Sometimes he does that. Your Jordan is that in your life which is out of control. You know what it is. Just right now you're thinking about it. You're thinking to yourself, if I could just get over here, if I could just get past this, if I could just get over here, then I'd be all right. Get this behind me. I'd be fine. That's your Jordan. And God says, I want to put you right down beside that uncontrollable thing, that thing's out of your control. I want you to sit down there. I want you to take a look at that for three days, maybe three weeks, sometimes for three years, just long enough. And why does He do that? He does it so that we'll see how impossible is the task. How uncontrollable is the problem. How impossible is the task. He wants you to see how helpless and hopeless the situation is. Jesus wasn't just idle talking when He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He wants you to see how helpless you are. Now when you do that, when that happens, two things happen. Notice. Everybody has to pass through the Jordans. I don't know whether you read it already in your notes or not, in, your, in, your, in the text or not, but, but what, what he said was, everybody, all of you have to pass through the Jordan. Now there's some debate about how many folks came out of Egypt, how many Israelis there were. Some say there were a million, some say it was as many as three million. I don't know how many there were. Somewhere between one and three million, I guess. But I know this, every single one of them had to pass through the Jordan. You think you're exempt from the problems of life? You think you should be exempt from the Jordans that are out of control? You think you should be exempt from those situations that are hopeless? Everybody passes through them. Here's the kicker. In verse 17, he tells us what we find in the midst of the Jordan. And he said... And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the jar. You know what they found in the middle of this unconquerable problem? They found the Ark there, in the middle of it, right in the midst. Let me tell you, listen carefully. Let me tell you what you're going to find right in the midst of your unconquerable problem. You're going to find Jesus there. That's where you're going to find Him. And sometimes, I'm firmly convinced that Jesus is more real to us in the midst of our Jordans than in anywhere else in life. I preached this course in the early service. And a guy came up, stood right there, right right on this platform, right there, and said to me, when you said what you did this morning, it just was like an arrow. Hit me right there. He said, you are telling... it It is exactly true. He said, Jesus Christ is more real to me in the midst of my problems and in the midst of my Jordans than at any other time in my life. And he said, I've been going through some of them recently, lately. Hear me now. I tell you, Jesus will be more real to you in your Jordan than He will be sitting in church on Sunday trying to stay awake. He'll not only be more real to you, He'll be more real to other people. You remember the Hebrew children, that story? There's three of them in and they're going to be thrown into this furnace. And the, and, and the king said, heat it seven times hotter. Sounds like some of the problems that I'm going through. Seven times worse than anybody's ever gone through. You ever thought that? This is seven times worse than anybody's ever had to go through. The heat's on. You ever thought God was picking on you, making you a test case? They're going to screw up the, the thermostat. And it's going to be seven times hotter than ever before. And he threw those guys in there bound. And the text, the scripture says that not a hair on their head was singed. The only thing that was burned were the cards that bound them. Isn't that marvelous? The only thing that was burned up were the cards that bound them. And the king looked in there and he said, How many folks did we throw in that oven? And they said, well, three. said, well, I thought so, but there are four in there. And the fourth is likened to the Son of Man. And the only time that Nebuchadnezzar ever saw God in these three boys was in the midst of the the Jordan. He's more real there than He'll ever be anywhere else. Notice the second thing. In the midst of the unconquerable problem, verse 10, God says, I'm going to lead you through, I'm going to get you through this unconquerable problem so you'll have confirmed so you'll have assurance that I can get you through anything. And so he says there in verse 10, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will assuredly dispossess, I love that word, before you. And he names all these tribes. Now watch this. You may be going through the Jardins today. Some Jordan, some unconquerable situation, some problem, some burden. But if you'll let God get you through this, you know what's going to happen on the other side? You'll know for sure He can get you through anything. You'll never be afraid after that again. All right, number three. Following Jesus, I have only time have time only just to just to mention it. Following Jesus is the door, is the door to unclaimed blessings. Now what got them through the Jordan to the, to the fullness, to the victory? The Ark of the Covenant. Putting it in the right position. And the amazing thing, the tragic thing, is that they had the Ark all along. They just weren't following Him. They just weren't following Him. Now, now listen to me carefully. You have everything if you're saved. If you're saved, if you have Christ in your heart, you have everything you need for spiritual victory if you start following Him. I'm so tired of this uh, theology, neo-Pentecostalism. I said neo now, don't go out here and get on me. This neo-Pentecostalism that says that you start with Jesus and you graduate to something better. And I get these letters, unsigned letters, handwritten. Somebody watching me on television, probably watching me now, watches me on television and says, I know you're a Christian, but you don't have enough yet. You got Jesus, but you need more. You gotta have. You, you need something else that you don't have. Listen, if you got Jesus, you got all you need. In fact, you got all you get. You don't, you don't start with Jesus and graduate something better. You start with Jesus, and you put Him in the right position, and you follow Him. That's the key. And somebody said He dreamed a dream... He got to heaven and there were all these packages up there, gift wrap packages with His name on them. And he asked somebody, what were those? What was that about? And he said, well, those are all those blessings, unclaimed blessings you could have had in life. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and you receive the Lord Jesus into your life, you have everything you need to live victoriously from this day on. And what happened? when they went over into victory it was when they finally discovered what they had all along and they began to follow it I'll tell you the greatest day of your life the greatest day of a Christian's life is when he begins to discover what he's had all along and he begins to put what he has, his possession in a position of preeminence and dominion and authority and begins to follow. So I guess that we've come to this conjuncture in life. To this juncture in life. And that is, have I ever received Jesus Christ as my Savior, Lord? Have, first, have I ever received Jesus Christ as my Savior? Does, does He live in my heart? Has there ever been a point of time where I opened up my life and by faith the channel I received, Jesus Christ, into my life. If I have, I've been saved. If I haven't, I haven't been. It's as simple as that. And then I guess that we come to this juncture as Christians, where many of us are right now, is where have we positioned Him? Have we given Him a secondary position, kind of a put Him over here in the corner and say, you know, sit there until I need you? Or have we positioned Him as preeminent and sovereign? And if we haven't, then we'll live our life in defeat. And some of you, listen to me, some of you Christians, if you died today, you would die in the wilderness. You're saved, but if you died today, you'd die in the wilderness. By that I mean you would die never having, never having, Appropriated fullness and victory. That comes when in a moment you say to Him, alright, it's time. I'm willing. I'm ready. I want you to be preeminent, first, sovereign. I want you to have dominion. I don't want you in the rider's seat. I want you in the driver's seat. I surrender the control of my life to you. When you do that, and you keep your eyes on Jesus, you go into victory. Let's pray together. Father, now for these moments of decision and truth, we pray for absolute, quiet, absolute commitment, sincerity. No talking, we pray. Lord, bring us to the confrontation of the surrender of our heart and life to Jesus Christ, to His preeminence and Lordship, I pray this in Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations. The first invitation is for that person here today who could not say, if I die tonight, I'd go to heaven. You couldn't say that. I want you to get up out of your seat. If you can't say that, I want you to come when the invitation begins to say, visit with Lee. Let him pray with you. I want the assurance. I want to come today. I want to be saved. I want you to do that, young people, children, adults. Balcony, choir, auditorium, I want you to come. This is the invitation. I want you to come this morning, secondly, like the one, one did in the early service, to say, I, I want to join this church. I want to put my life there. I've been, I'm a Christian. I'm serving the Lord in another community. Now I'm here in Durant, maybe just for a semester, maybe just for a year, but I, I want to be in this church, and I want to come, join it. I want to be a part of it. Or maybe you need to get up out of this your seat in a moment and come down these aisles, out of the balcony, out of the choir, out of the congregation to say, I've had him in a secondary position. I want to make, I want to put him in the first position, in place of priority, sovereignty. I want to come today to say, I want Jesus to be first in my life. Keep my eyes on him, on everything God has for me. Who would be the first to do it? sometimes. Just the one who's prompted, who resists, quenches the Spirit for everybody. But if you're prompted and you come, then it opens up the doors of God's blessing to the rest of us. So while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.